have two more sermons in this uh, series on 1 Corinthians uh, today and next Lord's Day. That may make some of you happy or another. And uh, today we come to probably the most famous chapter in this letter, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about love and he uses that word agape and most of us have probably through the years heard a Sunday school teacher or a, or a minister talk about, uh, you know, there's agape love in the New Testament and there's uh, filio love and there's brotherly love and there's eros, that kind of love. Well, you know, the New Testament, the apostles, the church sort of took the word agape that wasn't used hardly at all in that day and time and adopted it as their own to talk about this kind of wonderful, unconditional love that God has for His people in Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul is speaking to within uh, the greater context of spiritual gifts. So he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So now I'm going to see whether that joke was really that poor or the nine o'clock service was just short and sweet. Perhaps you heard about the young lady who wrote the following text to her former fiancé. Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since I broke off my engagement with you. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. See, you did much better 
this fear is that the nine o'clock crowd, they're just not afraid of death. I've chosen that little vignette because it portrays, I believe, so well the culture in which we live. If you have something for me, something that will help me, something that makes life easier for me, something I really like, then I will love it. In other words, so much of our culture is about me, me, me. And so much of the Corinthian culture was the same. That's why, one reason why, Paul gives them these wonderful words about love in this 13th chapter, because even in the church there at Corinth, me, me, me was trying to take over and win the day. As I've told you before, it appears that certain people in that congregation had the gift of speaking in tongues, and so they just sort of thought that they had arrived, spiritually speaking. In other words, it was all about them instead of all about the good of the church as a whole. And this is why at the end of chapter 12, we see Paul say, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. My point here is that the key to understanding this chapter is like any chapter in Scripture. We have to keep it in its context. For example, back in 2006, I used this very text in a series on marriage. And we talked about how love is described here and how that applies to the marital relationship. And there's nothing really wrong with that since the church has always used these words in that way. I mean, think about it. How many wedding ceremonies have you been to where you heard 1 Corinthians 13 read or perhaps read and expounded? But whatever meaning these words bring to us as some kind of really great hymn to love, Paul didn't write these words to help a young couple preparing for marriage. He wrote these words to be used to help solve a very specific problem, that of the unhealthy way in which the Corinthians were using their spiritual gifts within the local congregation. And really, if we look at these words carefully, we can see that they were written with this specific context in mind, talking about a lot of the problems that the church at Corinth had and the way they were treating one another. We see that those issues, those problems come out in these words about love. Now, I think it was J.I. Packer who labeled the three sections of this chapter as the primacy of love, the, the profile of love, and the permanence of love. And when I read that, I thought, I can't do any better than that. So we'll just think about this text in terms of that simple outline. So we begin with the primacy of love, and, and what does that really mean? Well, Paul's basic point here is that the Corinthians have it all wrong. They are so focused on their spiritual gifts that they've forgotten and or misunderstood that love is the foundation of the Christian life. Now, you'll say, well, I thought Jesus was. He's the cornerstone. Well, yeah, but Jesus is love because God is love, just as we read a few moments ago in 1 John. 
still remember the presence of this Jesus that you and I have seen in Luke 10. We're told in Matthew 22 that the Pharisees were testing him, and a lawyer walked up and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment? And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The thing we need to understand is that most Jews would have known that because they talked about this. They debated this. Uh, They argued about it over and over again. But the interesting thing is that Jesus didn't shall love your neighbor as yourself. From these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You see, love is where the life of faith starts. This is what we do as Christian people. We love one another. And Paul was emphasizing this primary nature of love within the context of the local church. Or another way to phrase it is that possession of certain spiritual gifts is not the be-all, end-all sign of the Holy Spirit at work in your life so much as Christian love is. That's what Paul's talking about. As one person put it, without love, one quite misses the point of being Christian in the first place. And that's why Paul exaggerates here in the first few verses of this text. And notice what he begins with, with this very divisive issue that he's confronting. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, Paul says. He's not saying that he actually did that. He's he's exaggerating here. But have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have all faith, Christian life. God's love saves us in Jesus Christ, and then His love produces love in our hearts and lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. As John puts it in his first letter, we read these words just a moment ago, if we love one another, God's love abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. And so we can see here that even more important then spiritual gifts is the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives. The context here is spiritual gifts and how we use them in the church and how important it is, like we talked last week, that all of us, you know, use the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. Galatians 5. And what is the first word in that list? It's love. Love just isn't just something that takes place. This wonderful love that's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given unto us, as Paul tells us in Romans 5, 5. It doesn't matter what our spiritual gifts are, Paul says. 
so you don't have any kind of problem around here. First day or two with spiritual gifts taught in Christian, of which I'm aware. But there are other things going on in our world right now that could cause problems. Because as one of you texted me this week, you said praying that this whole issue with masks will not become another warfare on our church. Amen to that. This is the kind of issue where this primacy of love is so important because love allows us to do things for others that we'd rather not do for their benefit. I don't know what the press wanted tonight, tomorrow, and evening may talk about if they're going to change any of the protocols because of these this Delta variant and COVID numbers going up and all that sort of thing. I don't know what they're going to do. But whatever they decide, I know this, some of us aren't going to come. of love, we come to the profile of love in verses 4 through 7. What does love look like? It's agape love that Paul is talking about here. It's interesting that after verse 1, not a single descriptive adjective is used in the original Greek. Instead, Paul uses agape, which I believe is his way of saying that love is dynamic and active. Love is not passive. Love is is out there working every day in the world. And while we could say that these are definitions, it might be more helpful, as one person put it, to think of these words in verses 4 through 7 as telling us and showing us how love works. As we think about this part of the passage, remember that God is love, so it's not shouldn't be surprising as to how Paul begins here by saying love is patient and kind because that's how God deals with you and me. That's how he deals with all of creation. He is patient and kind. As Peter tells us in his second letter, the Lord is not slow about his promise, but he's forbearing toward you. That is to say patient, not wishing that any should perish. And growing up in my home church, one of the songs we used to sing out of the old Bible songs book was Psalm 31. And in the refrain of that psalm, we would sing along to the song, He has been long suffering. This is who God is. He's patient and He's kind. And He calls us to be the same with one another in the life of the church. Of course, there are limits. God's patience, and the same should be true for you and me in the sense that patience does not tolerate evil even as long as we are. Then these two positive looks of patience and kindness are followed by seven verbs that tell us how love does not behave. The first five of which are obviously used because of what Paul has already said in this letter about the behavior of these Corinthians toward one another. When love is at work, there is a lack of envy. 
the loves at work, there's no boasting. There's no pride. There's no rudeness. There's no self-seeking or insisting on having one's own way. In other words, Paul is saying to these Corinthians, if you want to know what this agape love is really like, it's the opposite of what you're doing around here. Then he goes on to give some general teaching on love that seems to move beyond at least what we know was going on at Corinth in this letter that he's written to them where he begins to talk about how love is not irritable, or we might say easily angered, but he uses that word about what love should be. And love is not resentful, or more literally, does not keep a record of wrongs. I think that's one reason why this text is used so often in wedding ceremonies. Because just think about that. If you've been married in your time, and you're married right now, husband or wife is wrong, I can keep a record of wrongs. And you want to go far beyond that. Paul goes on to make the point that love finds no pleasure in the evil of the world or anyone around us, but instead rejoices with what? With the truth. exercises faith in all things, keeps up hope in all things, and gives honor and endures all things. And then we come to the kind of love, because right there at the beginning of verse 8, Paul says, what is love? Now, you could say, well, God is love, and that's why love needs defense. And, and that would be true, but I be the whole truth. As we think about that, remember our context. Paul's been talking about spiritual gifts, and he's been pointing his readers to what he calls a more excellent way. While love never ends, notice that some of the other gifts he lists here will have an end. What does he mean by that? Well, I think Paul is pushing, at least in part, for an eternal perspective here. Spiritual gifts, he's saying, are great in the life of the church, and we need them. And the participation of all of us using those gifts to build up together the body of Christ as we talked about last week. But these spiritual gifts are for this world only, meaning they're only needed in the fallen world for the church until Jesus returns. But love, that is agape love, characterizes our existence now in the life of the church as we love God and as we love one another, but also it characterizes our existence all the way into eternity. This is why Paul's main argument here in this last paragraph is that gifts, spiritual gifts, will pass away, which is another way of saying that spiritual gifts do not belong to eternity. Christ, but it also at the same time prepares us for the future. It takes us 
all the way into eternity. It is the ideal for which we should always strive, even when we're painfully aware of how short we fall. And loving God has called us to serve one another by making our best choices. Love is the most important thing in our lives. Let's see when we fail, it's not because it's hard, it's because we're trying our best to fail. You know, he's just, he's just not going along with this letter and thinking, oh, I just ought to say something because of what happened to him on that Damascus road where God reached out to him when he was dead in his sins and saved him by being arrested by Jesus Christ from the scaffold. That's why this is so important in our lives today. John says, when he lifted God's soul above the earth, when he gave his only begotten Son, we can see how love and action are tied together. God loved and so He gave. It's the same way for Paul. To love is to act. And so this is how and why spiritual gifts are to function in the life of the church based on love and because of love. The building up of the body of Christ is how this I have loved you by this, all 